Okay, so we continue with from our series starting last week, Naked Yet Unashamed. Let's give my beautiful wife a hand as she comes and shakes. Good morning. I'm going to continue this morning with a series that Andre started last week. And he said, you must put your seatbelts on, so can I please ask that you do it again this morning? But I'm very excited. I really feel that it's something that God's been laying on my heart, and it just worked out perfectly for me to, to share it this morning. So I'm going to jump straight into somebody's diary, not anybody that you would know, okay? So not anybody that you would even ever met, all right? But this is somebody's diary. It's a girl called Shelley. And we're going to read the diary, and then I'll, I'll get into the message. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> okay, May the 4th. It's, it's something that's happening in our life over a period of one month. So I want you to notice how quickly we can, we can get ourselves into something. She, she's finding herself in church one Sunday morning, and, when, and that evening she, she wrote in a diary. She says, Dan, it, Dan is a guy, man. <laughs> By the way, she says, Dan is so considerate. Yesterday, as I was walking out of church, he held the door open for me and he told me how nice I looked. I can't remember the last time Richard told me I looked pretty. This is a, Richard is a husband. This is May the 4th, May the 15th. Richard and I hired Dan to remodel our basement. It will be great having a man around the house who can fix things. Obviously, her husband can't, so she's very excited about this. I find myself looking forward to his visits. Okay, it's all still very innocent. May the 20th, Dan is having problems with his daughter. I offered some advice, and he was so grateful he gave me a hug. It felt good to be appreciated. I often replay that moment in my mind. June the 1st. Okay, so your seatbelts are on, eh? <laughs> it's getting worse. Da- <laughs> it won't get that bad, so okay, it's not an age restriction on this morning. Okay, June the 1st, Dan and I are going to lunch today to finalize details on the basement. I've tried on 10 different outfits and I've put on extra perfume. I keep telling myself it's no big deal, it's just business. This is June the 1st. Okay, June the 2nd. <laughs> Yesterday during lunch, the cheesecake took me by surprise. Offering him a bite of mine seemed harmless. Business lunch, eh? But the moment he tasted it, our eyes locked. Neither of us said anything, but we knew something was different. We had crossed some unseen line and can never go back to just being friends. June the 4th. I'm jittery and jumpy. Each time the phone rings, I hope it's Dan. When a car drives by, I look out the window to see if it's he. I'm filled with longing, and it's not for my husband. Help God. I know this is wrong, but I don't want it to stop. Hectic. Okay. So I want to ask you a few questions. Nobody needs to raise their hand. I just want you to to think a little bit, to ask yourself if you've ever been confronted with temptation, ever. You know, even if it's just to take that second portion of desserts, okay? I've been tempted to that many a time. But maybe the more important question is, do we recognize temptation when it comes? 
Because all of us are tempted. You know, even Jesus was tempted in the desert. The devil tempted, tempted him in a huge way in the desert. So if Jesus was tempted, most assuredly, I tell you, all of us will be tempted or have been tempted. But the, the question is, do we see it? Do we know what it looks like? Do we know what it feels like? And do we know how to handle it? Do we know what is the boundary between temptation and sin? Do we know what, what is that boundary, you know, that very, it's not a clear, it's not a clear cut thing because it depends on your situation, depends on what's going on. But do we know when, when do we cross that line of being tempted and then moving over to a place where we can get sucked in, in into quicksand? Because this is how temptation works, eh? It works like quicksand. If we, if we stay in for too long, it's going to get to our waist and we're going to get covered and it, it will lead to death, it will lead to shame, it will lead to distraction. All right? This is, this is how temptation works. So all of us will face temptation. So, so this is applicable whether you are old, young, whether you are male, female, whether you think you are immune. You, you know, there was a stage in my life when I thought I was quite immune to certain kind of temptations. And I had to admit that, you know, you're not as immune as you think because the moment you start crossing certain lines and, and if, you, if you're not resisting temptation but you're kind of playing around with it, you will soon discover that you're not as immune as you thought you were. And that I've, I've seen in my own life. So I want to take you to a scripture, James 1. In the NIV version, James 1, 14 and 15. So can I also ask you to put your student hat on just for a, a while? Okay, I'm just going to teach you a little bit on exactly how temptation works. So just put your, your student hat on and just help me to, to help you okay, understand how this thing works. It says, everyone is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it doesn't start, temptation is not sin. It doesn't start with sin. It, it grows into a place where, where it's sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. So there is a process. There's a process. And temptation, as I said, it's like quicksand. You know, if you step into it, if you recognize it, and you step into it, there's a good chance that you can maybe step out of it. How many of you have ever had to deal with quicksands? No. Oh, this one person. Okay. <laughs> I've never had to deal with it, but I saw pictures. I looked up a few videos on the internet. That's hectic, eh? But in any case, if you know it, if you know there's a, there's a, there's a spot or a patch, you can, you can either avoid it, or you could, if you accidentally step into it, maybe get out quickly. But if you, do, if you stay in for too long, it's going it, to it's gonna lead to death, okay? So let me show you a, a little table. It will be on the, on the screen. So temptation will be up to your ankles. The sin factor is zero, which should actually be good news to some of us because often the devil comes with temptation and we feel so condemned and guilty because we feel we've done something wrong. I mean, where does, where does this come from? Where do these thoughts come from? We feel 
self-condemned and we feel guilty, but temptation is not sin. Okay, so breathe out. It's not sin. When, when it starts off, you're totally innocent, all right? You've done nothing wrong. Contemplation, however, is the next step. That is up to your waist, and then we're stuck in sin. And I'll explain to you now how contemplation works, but this is the stage where we often still think it's innocent and we think it's all right. We kind of justify the contemplation stage. Activation would be over your head, the quicksand's over your head, it leads to death, it leads to destruction. There's no other way. It's going to lead to shame. It's, we, we have to get out of quicksand, the quicksand of temptation, way before it leads to activation, long before it gets over our heads. However, God is in the business of redemption and forgiveness. So even, even if you've ever been into, in a situation where you felt that death, God can still restore, but it will lead to death. All right, so my mission this morning is to to make you understand that the easier we recognize temptation and the easier or the quicker we see it for what it is and the quicker we deal with it, the less death and destruction and shame we will experience in our lives. All right, we talk about being naked and unashamed. Do you know how amazing that place is? To stand before God and man, unashamed, no secrets, nothing to hide. You know, even if they know everything, everything about you, you will still be unashamed. Because whatever you've done has been dealt with at the cross. It's an amazing place of security. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of confidence. Because it doesn't really matter what people know about you. You've dealt with it at the cross. Okay? So, temptation, as I said, it's not sin. Very important to, to know that. And it, how it works is temptation comes through our thoughts. Like Shelley, you know, she walked out the door, Dan opened the door for her, he complimented her, and she immediately thought that um, that is, he is such a considerate man. And when last did my husband give me a compliment? Was that sin? I want you to think about it because these things come to our minds, okay? All of us. All of us. Not, not exactly the same thing, but similar things. It was not sin. The moment she thought, wow, this man is so considerate, he compliments me. When last did my husband give me a compliment? It's not sin. That is not sin. That is temptation. So, what, what happened? What happened to her? You see, her thoughts tempted her to admire this man. He's, he's you know, his, his politeness and, you know, even, you know, she thought, oh, it would be nice to have a man around who can fix things. So, she was focusing on Dan's good qualities and she was looking at her husband's shortcomings, all right? And instead of saying no to these thoughts, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to dwell on this, I'm not going to think the whole time how amazing Dan is and how mm, pathetic my husband is, Instead instead of saying no to these things, she said yes. And the moment she said yes to those thoughts, the moment she said, 
Yes, I fully agree with this. It became sin. Okay, so that it 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 caused her to sink deeper into the quicksand. All right, does it make sense to you? Temptation is not sin. I think often the devil, what he does, he convinced us that temptation is sin. So we feel so guilty and condemned, and we feel we've sinned already. We might as well sin a bit more. (laughs) Temptation is not sin, so we have to see it for what it is, and we have to recognize it for what it is. What is contemplation? In contemplation, we sin. Contemplation is sin. We sin by giving ourselves permission to dwell on the wrong thoughts, and we rationalize wrong choices. So we justify it. We, we, give, we give ourselves permission. Whether it's, it's, it's knowingly or unknowingly, we, we say, oh, it's all right. It's all right to focus a little bit on this man's positive attributes, to focus a little bit on my husband's shortcomings. It's all right. Just a little bit. That's contemplation. Okay? And we rationalize our wrong choices. You see, we, this stage is, is very dangerous. Because we, you see, we often justify the stage by saying it's still very innocent and nothing has happened. So what is the big deal? So this is what this girl did. She tried on 10 10 different outfits. Okay, this is not a business lunch. You know, okay, girls, the moment we try on 10 different outfits, it's not a business lunch anymore. You can call it what you want, but it's not a business lunch. So she tried on 10 different outfits. She said yes to going out with lunch with this, with this man. And she knew that deep in her heart, it's not business. She knew. All right? This is what contemplation does. It often, it often leads us to justifying something that is wrong. Okay? So we do not sin because we are unable to avoid it. We do not sin because we are unable to avoid it. We sin because we rationalize and justify wrong choices, and we lie to ourselves. Okay, we're not completely honest. She wasn't honest. Okay, and an outsider would have told her, listen, this is not business. Look at you. Look at you. This is not business. But, but she justified it. She said, it's business. We, we need to finalize the arrangements for the basement, and it's business. All right? We justify things. So Ephesians 3 verse 5, also in the NIV version, it says, But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. A hint. All right? And I believe that the contemplation stage of temptation, there's a hint. There's a hint. I'm talking in the context of of, of sexual sin, okay? In the contemplation stage... Even any kind, of, any kind of temptation, in the contemplation stage, there's a hint. There's a hint. And I think that is why we, we so easily ignore the, the warning signs in the contemplation stage. Because there's a hint. It's not full-grown. It's not death. It's, it's not that dangerous yet. And we think we can easily, easily just step out again anytime we want. But the problem is, try to get out of quicksand when it's up to your waist, because that is the contemplation stage. It's not easy. It's not easy. In fact, I don't think if you get to the contemplation stage 
that if you don't, if you don't do drastic, drastic things, you might end up in the activation stage quite quickly and quite easily. All right? So the Bible says we, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And this is what, I, what I'm going to hold before you. Whether you're single or married, all right? We all know what kind of sexual temptations we face as single, married, male or female. Your goal, our goal, by God's grace, is that, that there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And we need to trust the Lord to see that thing quickly and immediately before it sucks us in, okay? Activation. In, a, in the activation stage, we, we deliberately act upon our thoughts in direct disobedience to God's commandments. In direct disobedience, we act. We deliberately act. Sometimes we feel weak. Sometimes, you know, you kind of feel that you... You didn't have a choice, or it wasn't your fault, or it was the other person's fault, or whatever. The bottom line is, in the activation stage, we go against God's commandments. We go against it. This is why we need to get out of it, out of the quick stand, before it gets to the activation stage. Quickly. We need to act on it quickly. So this is what I, what I want to... Practically, what I want to explain to you, how do we get out of the quicksand of temptation? Because all of us, let me tell you, if you think you're immune to temptation, you are deceived. All of us face temptation. Maybe some of us are more, um, some of us are better in in, in certain areas and some of us are worse in, in other areas. But whatever, if it's not sexual temptation, you will be tempted probably somewhere else in another area of your lives. And, and the thing is, God provides many, many ways of escape. This is what the Bible says, that there will be a way of escape. So sometimes people argue, but there wasn't a way of escape. This is why I gave in to temptation. Okay? Another rationalizing and justifying the contemplation and activation stage. If the Bible says that God will provide a way of escape, he will. He will. We just need to look for it. At all, at all times, we need to look for it, we need to find it, and we need to run for that exit. Okay? It's not as if the exit is going to come to you. <laughs> you know, if there's a fire in this building, do you see the exit signs? Hmm? There's one. There's another one. Okay, there's, there's two. There's two, okay? There's a... The exit is, it's not going to come to you. You need to run. Okay? A way of escape is a, is a destination we have to run to with everything. So, the first, the first way practically of dealing with temptation, we have to flee. We have to run. We have to get out of the situation. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. Flee means you run fast. You know, you, you know, it's not a, like, a, like a stroll. It's a sprint. Okay? Flee means you run. You run fast. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 
And that is the danger of sexual sin. You see, fleeing often, it means we, we should often take drastic measures. For some of us, it means you must see a different physio. If you're in love with your physio, you must get yourself another physio quickly. <laughs> okay, I, I hope I'm not like scaring people now. You must get yourself another doctor. If you're not in love with your physio, it's all fine, okay? I'm talking about this girl was falling in love with this Dan guy. Shame, the poor guy. I don't know, maybe he wasn't that innocent after all. But for some of us, it means drastic measures. Maybe you must see another doctor, okay? Don't go home and tell your wife she must change all her appointments, okay? <laughs> this is not what it's all about. It's you will know in your heart. Some of us must get another gym instructor. You know, I've seen these gym instructors with the girls in the gym. And I think, oh my goodness, I'm worried. <laughs> I get worried. <laughs> There's, they could be, it could be extremely safe and, in, in, and completely fine, okay? We need to deal. I mean, I had to work. I, I worked with men all my life. You know, we had to work long hours. It's about what's going on in your heart, and you will know if there's one, one person, male or female, that is a temptation for you. And if you can't stop it before it goes to the contemplation stage, sometimes you need to flee. Okay? You need to flee. For some of us, it, it can mean something as drastic as resigning from your job. Come on, Sonica. You know, is this really, is, is this really necessary? <laughs> yes. You know, if you have, 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 came, have come to a place where you've moved from temptation to contemplation to activation, and you want to save your marriage, you have to resign your job if it comes to that. So I want to show you a short video clip from a story of a woman. She had to flee from a relationship. And I just want you to see the the story and the progress on that. If we can just put off the lights and the blinds. Thanks. There was shame to it, and yet the shame was not outweighed by the pleasure of it. Nancy Anderson knew better. She was raised by godly parents, went to a Bible college, and was herself, well, a Christian. So I kept it a secret from anyone who would tell me to knock it off. I became an expert liar because adultery and lying go together. It was back at college that she first met Ron. My premise in getting married was that Ron was going to make me happy. That he fix me, that he meet my need, that he read my mind, that he know what I needed before I even knew what I needed. I was a jerk. I was a jerk as a husband and consequently my wife responded in a negative way as well. They loved each other, they loved God, but found marriage a whole lot harder than they expected. We fought about everything. We fought about, once we were married, we fought about money, we fought about time, we fought about you said this or I said this or you didn't live up to my expectations or I'm disappointed about this. As a couple, we did not have a spiritual unity. And so because of that, I started to drift away from the Lord, you know, as a couple, but also individually. So Nancy became open to other ideas about what might make her happy. One of the women at work said, you know, well, I was complaining about Ron, and she says, well, you know, dump him. If you're not happy, life's too short to be unhappy. 
I just took the easy road out and and started flirting basically with the man at work. Which led to secret lunches and dinners and then time away from home. I figured, oh, okay, if you know, that's fine if you need a couple of days by yourself. Well, I didn't know that there was another man involved. Along with the excitement, Nancy felt guilty, especially when something pricked her conscience, like the radio. He said, if you will stop your sinning and repent, God will forgive you. And that made me so angry because I didn't want to stop. And she now comes back after four weeks and says, I want a divorce. I'm in trouble. Now it's starting, to, the reality is setting in. I've, I've got a big problem here. It all came to a head when Nancy got a call from her mom and dad. I managed to lie to my mother, but I can't lie to my dad. And even from 2,000 miles away, prayer is a powerful thing. And that prayer began to pierce, pierce my heart. And I knew that the Lord would be faithful. I didn't know what the outcome would be. Then Nancy prayed her own prayer and knew what she needed to do. Which I knew would break his heart. And mine, my emotions were still connected to him. I didn't love my husband. And I knew it was just that simple and just that horrifically difficult. Then it was time for the big moment. Ron came home early from a convention. There she was. It was the first time we actually talked without yelling at each other in many, many a night. Nancy told him everything, including what he suspected, but hoped wasn't true. But she's choosing to choose me instead of him. Uh, I was more concerned with keeping the conversation going at the level it was going. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't devastated pridefully. The next day, Nancy phoned the office to quit her job. And the president said, you're doing the right thing. No job is worth your marriage. Out of obedience, I um, broke up with Jake. Ron and I actually both talked to him. What was that like? Well, it was, uh, it was rather calm, considering what it could have been if he'd yeah. have been there in the room with well, me. Ron and Nancy decided to go to her parents for help. They told them there was still something they had to do. Ron, I reached across the table and I said, I betrayed you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I have no defense, no excuse. I don't deserve forgiveness, but I'm asking for it anyway. Were you afraid that he might not give it? I just didn't know if he could do it, once he knew the whole truth. In the Lord, in an instant, gave me the ability to forgive her. I never had difficulty talking about it. I never had a pride issue with it. It never bothered my ego. I gave it to the Lord. He took care of it. Now, many years later, Ron and Nancy remember well what it was like to rebuild. As we were trying to get back on track, we were going like this. And eventually, we started going like that. It took about three years, wouldn't you say, before we really felt like we were wow, this is getting to be great again. We were not very good at noticing when the other person did it right. <laughs> but we were really quick to notice when there was a mistake. Right. So both of us had to learn that compliments are like magnets. Finding out what made her feel loved as a woman. Mm -hmm. God made her a certain way. 
and I had to learn to understand that. Some of the fellows say, oh, you know, I don't know if I get, my wife did that, I don't know. And I tell them, I said, you know, with the grace of God, you will be amazed at what you can get through. And then it grew back into the romance and the love, and now it's all those things combined. Right. I can tell the people, look, the grass is not greener. I've been to the other side. There's weeds. It's a horrible place. It will destroy you. Don't go there. Powerful, eh? This woman had to flee. She had to quit her job. And I've, I just have so much respect for this. You know, even for a boss who said no job is worth your marriage. So sometimes we have to flee, depending on the situation. Something else that we can do to get, to get rid of temptation is we can tell our friends. We have to speak. We have to bring it in the light. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light. That is a, an amazing secret and, and, and key that God gives to us. If we walk in the light, there's freedom. You see, as long as something remains hidden, it has power over us. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but the moment we speak about what's, what's going on inside, especially if it's destroying us, the moment we speak, something is broken. The power is broken. You see, confessing your desires to a trustworthy friend, it's like removing the teeth from an angry dog. Okay, he can still come for you, but the bite is gone. <laughs> he can't bite you anymore. The teeth, is, it's gone. So it's literally as if you're removing the teeth from an angry dog, okay? It, it, it can still come for you when you have confessed and spoken to somebody, but the power of it is broken. Hetty Brits, she's the wife of Louis Brits, the gospel, Afrikaans gospel singer. She speaks very openly about an emotional affair that, that she had with a guy for, for quite a long time, and she really battled to get out of it. And she only... The power of that thing was only broken when she spoke to her husband. When she, when she said to her husband, this is the guy's name. This is the guy. And her husband was aware of her battle and her struggles. But she couldn't get free, even though her husband knew about it. But she never said to him the name of the guy. So why? Why didn't she? Because her husband actually warned her against this guy. He said to her, Stay away from that man. And she laughed it off. She thought, oh, whatever, you know, what's the chance? And she got involved in an emotional affair. And that, so, so there was shame involved. She, she couldn't tell her husband because he said to her, stay away. And I just want to encourage you, if you experience that kind of shame, don't let it hold you back to talk. Okay, because that's another clever trick of the devil. Somebody warned you against the relationship. You didn't listen. And now you feel oh, you can't talk to that person because he or she warned you. Just force yourself to speak. Because that will, maybe even speaking to that person who warned you, that's going to break it. That's going to break it. That was freedom for her. Something else that's very important when it comes to temptation, we have to set boundaries. We have to set boundaries for ourselves, which is not to limit us 
It's to keep us safe. It's to keep us safe. Matthew 5, 29 and 30 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, plug it out and cast it from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This is quite a, a drastic verse. But what Jesus is talking about is boundaries. If something gets you into trouble... There must be a boundary. You have to avoid it. You have to cut it out of your life. You have to literally remove it from your life, from your environment. You see, we have to decide when it comes to boundaries, we need to decide beforehand what we're going to do. In the moment, it's really difficult. You have to decide beforehand what is your boundaries when it comes to movies, when it comes to to anything that is tempted to you. You know, in, in, in my previous job in Cape Town, we had this yearly weekends away where it's staff only, no spouses. Now, you can just imagine what can, what can happen there, especially if there's lots of alcohol. Okay, it was a drinking party. I mean, I thought, I thought I'm working with accountants. And look, you know, look at them. You'll be surprised what accountants can be up to, you know, when it's a... It's a weekend away. But, you know, I've been, and then normally there's a dance, you know, there's music, and everybody's dancing with each other. Nobody's husbands or wives are there. And I've been, it happened twice that, that one, one of the partners of the firm and a manager, they asked me to dance. Now, Andre and I have just made a, a decision, actually since we were dating, that we're not dancing with anybody except one another. So now the, these men ask me to dance, and it's a bit uncomfortable, okay? Now to tell them in their face, sorry, I'm not dancing with you, it's really uncomfortable, especially if it's a partner. It's, got, it's sort of your boss, okay? <laughs> he wasn't my direct boss, that man. But So I just said to him, sorry, I'm only dancing with my husband. It was really uncomfortable, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't I'm only dancing with my husband, where, where, leave me alone kind of situation, <laughs> It was like, what is this man now going to do to me? Is he now going to force me to dance with him? Or, you know, it wasn't comfortable. And I was just thankful that in my life we've made that boundary, you know. I'm not thinking about it. When it happens, my boundary is there because not that any, anything would have happened. I mean, my husband is, you know, I choose my husband far above any guy I've ever worked with. But... <laughs> I, I just, I just see, I've seen how the devil can use one dance. I mean, what happened to this girl in her diary, Dan opened the door for her once, and he complimented her once. And something started in her head. And let me tell you, one dance can be dangerous. If, if you're okay with it, and your husband and your wife, and you're fine with it, no problem. Okay? For each of us, it's going to be different. But you need to decide what is your boundaries. You need to, to make up your mind. For some of us, it means no wine when you have dinner with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. No wine. Because let me tell you, it makes us vulnerable. If you are alone and you're eating and you have wine, it makes you vulnerable. You're looking for trouble. Okay? If you decide in your relationship, no wine 
when we are alone and we're having dinner, you're going to be much safer than with a bottle of wine. Okay, for some of it, some of you might you need not might have that boundary. For some of us, it means a boundary might mean that you need to uninstall Facebook from your phone. Let that sink in. <laughs> I mean what I say. <sighs> Pastor's wife. Andre, don't let her preach ever again, please. She's spoiling my fun. <laughs> if it's a problem with you, if, te- if, if Facebook gets you into, from temptation to contemplation on a regular basis, you have to seriously consider uninstalling it from your phone. Even if it's just for a season. Even if it's just for a season that you can get your feet on solid ground, that you can get your feet on a solid rock. You will know. If, if you are battling with that, you will know. For some of us, it means goals. Let me speak to you for a moment. It means married or single, we need to stay away from books called Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay, you all know. It seems as if you all know what I'm talking about. Okay? It's an it's a erotic... For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Fifty Shades of Grey is a book... Published in 2011, it's an erotic romance novel written by a British author, E.L. James. There's a, there's a whole series. The, two, the other books came out in 2012 called Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed. In, in a period of four years, 100 million copies were sold, translated into 52 languages. It's, it sets the record as the fastest-selling paperback of all time. Okay? Why do we need to avoid that book? Why do we need to avoid it? Am I paranoid? Hmm? Do you think I'm paranoid? Okay, let me give you the, the facts. Okay, seatbelts on. Okay? Dana Gray, she's a best-selling author and a co-founder of Pure Freedom. She's a Christian. I just want to read you a quote of her. I believe that Fifty Shades of Grey and the normalization of erotica that's resulting from it will have the same impact on the church as the advent of internet pornography and men using it 20 years ago. So what is the difference between a normal romance novel and an erotic romance novel? For those of us who don't know. You see, erotica is when the romance include very descriptive sexual acts. What does that mean? It means it's written pornography. It means when you read it, your mind will create the images. It's written pornography. You see the the danger with this book, and I don't know, maybe some of you have read it, maybe some of you think I'm, I'm completely out of my mind to say stay away. The danger of this book is if you sit in an airplane and a man next to you opens his laptop and looks at porn images. You're not really going to like it. It's not really acceptable. But it's totally acceptable to read this book. It's totally acceptable to, to sit in an airplane, to take out the book and to read it. Totally acceptable. It's totally acceptable that your whole office, everybody in the office has read the book, and they don't understand why you don't want to read it. There's peer pressure There's peer pressure when it comes to this book. This book, 
is going to defile your mind. It's going to mess with your thoughts. It's going to get you into trouble. Please stay away. Okay, you must, you must choose. You must, you, must, you must choose how you want to live your life. But my, I want to, I want to plead with you to stay away from that. Okay, it's not going to bless you. And you might think it's innocent. You might be able to justify it. It's not innocent. All right, stay away from that. We have to redirect our passion. When you're battling with temptation, the best way sometimes to deal with it is just to redirect your passion to the Lord. You know, it's like telling my son, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I mean, the poor child, I must sometimes say, this you can do. (laughs) You know, so it works the same with us. Sometimes the best way to deal with any kind of issue or temptation in our lives is not to not, 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 not stay away, stay away, stay away. It's to, let's just redirect our passion. Let's just reprioritize our lives. Let's just decide what do we want in life. And if you want your marriage to work one day, you see, whether you're single or married, this is equally applicable to all of us because we sow seeds into our marriage before marriage. You sow either seeds of of, of happiness and, and unity, or you sow seeds of, of division, you sow seeds of, of, of um, unfaithfulness. And yes, God is faithful to turn everything around, and I'm going to get to it now. But we must determine, what do we want from life? Do we want what that woman had? They, it took them three years to build up their marriage. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But I have respect for how they decided they're going to fight for their marriage. You see, the danger of sexual sin, unlike other sins committed outside your body, like stealing or lying, sexual sin is commit, it's committed in your body. What does that mean? It means that anybody that you've ever given yourself to has got a part of you. You've given a portion of yourself to somebody. Not only physically, emotionally and spiritually, which means that even if you're now separated from that person, there's still an emotional tie and there's still a spiritual tie. And the only way to get free from that is to ask the Lord to break those ties. That is why sexual sin is so... To, to get healed from that, yes, God can heal you in an instant, but there's a process. It's not just walking away from the relationship. We must trust the Lord to heal you. And just lastly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak about that, and then we're going we're gonna to pray for people. How do we get over the guilt and shame of past sin? For those of you who have been, temp- been in the place of temptation, contemplation, and activation, what now? Or maybe it happened 20 years ago, but you just still feel you're not free. What do we do? You see, it's very much, to get free from that, it's very much like taking a shower. You get rid of the old. Everything you've done, everything that happened to you, very much like taking off your dirty clothes. Then you step into a shower. You allow the Lord to wash over you. You allow him to to cleanse you, to literally wash it down the drain. It's gone forever. 
And then you put on new, clean clothes, which God is going to give to you. So getting rid of the old, what do we need to do? We have to be honest with the Lord. We have to say, okay, God, this is what I've done. I'm grieved over my sin. I see it. I see it for what it is, Lord. I've been justifying it all my life. But I now see it for what it is. This is, this is, this is what I've done. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Okay, this is getting rid of the old. You know, you, God knows what we have done in any case. But we need to talk about it. And sometimes it helps to, to bring it in the light and to share it with a friend. Together with bringing it before the Lord. Then we step under the water. We receive God's forgiveness. And if God forgives, he forgives. And he forgets. It's gone. It's over. It's dealt with. You, you receive his grace. You receive his mercy. And, and, and you receive whatever you need. You exchange everything that, that is holding you back. You exchange it at the cross. You leave it there and you receive grace and forgiveness. And then we must forgive ourselves. Most important, I think, or maybe the most difficult sometimes. We have to receive forgiveness. We have to forgive ourselves. And then we need to receive the new. We must put, in, we must put on holiness. We must put on purity. We must put on a hunger to know the Lord. We must put on a hunger to, to serve him, a, a desire for Jesus, a desire to know him which will help us to say no to whatever else has come our way. Amen. So there's hope. There's hope. There's healing. God is in the business of redeeming us. Jesus knew that we're going to make mistakes. This is why he died for us. But from today onwards, we can make, we can make proper and good decisions when it comes to this area in our